has just completed his thesis at Makerere University Institute of Social Research entitled Making Somaliland Popular Culture, Identity and National Consciousness. Um, before that, he's a BA English Language and Literature person and MPhil uh, in Cultural Studies before that. Um, he's a journalist, a sub-editor. He worked at The Independent magazine uh, from 2008. He's been at uh, Uganda's leading book publisher, Fountain Publishers, and worked as an editor for five years before going back to academia. You're a columnist in The Observer Weekly. Uh, you moonlight as a playwright. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, your play, The Snake Farmers, is a set book on the secondary school curriculum in Rwanda. It's great. Um, and you are the Emerging Scholars Representative-Elect on the ASA board. So, today, Yusuf is going to talk about his work derived from his doctoral study, <coughs> Making Somaliland Popular Culture, Identity and National cult uh, Consciousness. Uh, th thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Good evening, everybody. Um, so, this is the project, Making Somaliland Popular Culture, Identity and national consciousness. So I'm going to show the map of Somaliland for uh, a quick knowledge of wo what I'm talking about. This is, this is in the Horn of Africa. In that horn, uh, we should also carry the map of Africa. Uh, so Somalia is, is here, like, then goes all the way down. So this is the region in the northwest of the country which declared independence in 1991. So this is the country I'm talking about and I'm looking at uh, the making of nationalist sentiment and identities. So the first question that I want to, uh, that I want to talk about is why this project? Is there a connection between nationalist sentiment, identity and popular culture? Why, what motivated this project? So, uh, firstly, we know that a nation is an artificial construct, often mobilized through a series of processes. Some of them could be persuasive, but sometimes they could be violent. And there's plenty of scholarship that shows that uh, national sentiments are not born in place. We tend to think that, for example, people might think because they're English, they were born English. The idea of becoming an Englishman or an Englishwoman had to be mobilized. Uh, so, Raymond Williams, has noted in the quote that I want I show here that nation as a term is radically connected to with, with native. So we, are, we could be born in relationships that are already settled in place, but the shift from these relationships to anything called a modern nation state is often entirely artificial. It has to be mobilized. So what begins as a, a significant and necessary way of saying we and our, and so much more than I or mine, uh, slides by teaching or habit into bland or obscuring generalities about identity. So the idea is that uh, from, from say a small place such as a, a family, then a village, by the time you start to speak of a regional or nationalist, nationalist identity, you have gone through a process of learning and unlearning. You've been mobilized to speak that language. And at the core of works such as uh, Anderson's Imagined Communities or Pato Chatterjee, Okay, last you performing the nation in Tanzania, or Lisa Widin's work in Yemen, uh, peripheral visions, the processes that the process of mobilizing an identity, a nationalist sentiment, a belief that we are, uh, we are Tanzanians, we are uh, a community. I mean, for example, if you talk about the 
in, in Great Britain, there must be something that mobilizes. And, and uh, Raymond Williams talks about national symbols such as the national flag. If you ask an Englishman, why are you English? What, what, what is this that mobilizes you into an English person? They may point at the national flag, uh, Westminster, monuments and monumental structures at Westminster, the London Bridge for the French, the Eiffel Tower. These are the things that tend to stand for and also mobilize what they are. Then sometimes it is through language, because you speak French, because you speak English. So through language, you get mobilized and see yourselves as, as, as a particular community speaking that language. Sometimes it is through music, that music says the national anthem. You mobilize into an English person, a Ugandan, a Somali, uh, patriotic songs, or other songs by other singers. Uh, uh, as has been showing earlier, the clip from Sarah Hargan's song, it's a song by a very ordinary individual, but also trying to mobilize a sort of Somaliness in Somaliland. Sometimes narratives, everyday narratives, folk tales, and, and other things such as festivals, this often come together and help mobilize as a, a national being who sees himself as belonging to a particular nationality. Sometimes war. When war breaks out, people tend to, in the aftermath of war, to mobilize around their victory or their failure. So they mobilize an identity either as, as victims or as, as uh, victors. But then also what is fascinating is repeated practices. Uh, for example, national celebrations, cartoons. When you read uh, Peripheral Visions, Lisa Widin looks at cut shoes in, in Yemen as ways in which people perform their belonging to Yemen. In these cut shoes, they talk about what it means to be democratic in Yemen. And the more they meet in these spaces, they realize that meeting in this space alone underscores your sense of belonging to the Yemeni public. But I want to also point out very quickly that these are simply vehicles. So these vehicles, such as the national flag, is a vehicle. But in it is embedded histories and imagined futures. So by the time you have this uh, symbolic uh, item called the national flag, there's so much underneath that makes it visible, that when you relate to it, it speaks to you. The flag speaks, and you speak in it. So these are what we tend to call popular culture. And I'll get into a, a very interesting conversation popular culture because there's a, a long history. Sometimes it's called public culture. So the, the beginning part of my talk is to say that I was fascinated by looking at Somaliland, the making of Somaliland, the imagining of Somaliland through music, through popular culture, through monuments, through the study of uh, national festivals, everyday practices, because it is through the things that national identities and national sentiments are mobilized. They're not born in place. They have to be mobilized. And if you realize, they are the only, it's the only way through which they're mobilized. The only way through which people start to see themselves belonging to a particular nationality is through a process of being mobilized through these items. So popular culture. Popular culture is a broad study. It has a very, very long history. And m most times it's talked about through the language of origin, where it comes from, location, consumption, the target audience, function, and production of popular culture. So it is, when people talk about popular culture, they tend to go through these different territories. Where does it come from? Historically, uh, the biggest claim is that the Industrial Revolution in, in Europe 
gave birth to popular culture when societies became divided into the bourgeois and the peasants. So the peasants had to develop a popular culture which would respond to what the, 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 the elite class had put in place. So it was some sort of space for contesting the mainstream. So that, that's one of the... But to argue that popular culture began from uh, industrialized Britain is to argue that spaces that were not industrialized didn't have popular culture, say Africa or the Caribbean, is to say there was no popular culture in those spaces, which is very problematic. Those spaces actually had popular culture at the same time. So to a, bit, a little bit on that, sometimes it is said that popular culture uh, is, is the culture that remains after you've taken out the elite culture. The one that is uh, some sort of fluff. After you've taken out the very sophisticated elite culture, you remain with the commonplace, the mundane, the everyday. That's popular culture, which also is very problematic in a way. Then sometimes if you go through uh, uh, Theodore Adorno and Max Horkheimer talking about popular culture as mass deception, you get the sense that popular culture is, is that which mobilizes the everyday, which is left for, for the everyday, for the people who, uh, maybe you may call them the wretched of the earth, it's that which remains. And it's through that, the sort of standardization of, popular, of, 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 of the masses that they are exploited. So that could be some sort of a Marxist uh, reading of popular culture, which also has its, its, its salience. There have been others uh, talking about uh, who makes it available. Is it the culture that is made by the everyday, the, or the most, the elite of society? Who makes popular culture available? So these are the sort of debates that have informed the study of popular culture. But I'm fascinated by Natalie Zimone Davis, who, who speaks about it as that which is accessible, easily accessible, uh, widely read or hard. In other words, it's cheap, it can be ac accessible to everybody. So in this sense, I am persuaded by its communicative power. So popular culture becomes that uh, emphasis is it's, it's in its communi communication and the ability to travel, that it can travel wide distances in the process of mobilizing. So it becomes popular because it can travel. All right? It becomes popular because it can mobilize a public and easily, so it can be accessed through different places. I, I wanted to mention that this talk of elite culture, uh, there's a bit of fluidity. In uh, say 1600 America, Shakespeare was popular culture. All right? It was consumed by the taxi drivers, the, the bus drivers, it was popular culture. I don't think nowadays Shakespeare is, is popular culture. We think of it as elite culture. It's, it's, we don't speak in verse anymore, all right? I mean, the characters Shakespeare spoke in verse. Uh, I was showed a room where people learned speech here at Oxford, so they could speak in verse, not, not in prose. Prose was for the every. I mean, when you read Shakespeare's tragedy, it's very fascinating. All the characters speak in verse because leadership and gentility was, was about vast. It was a very sophisticated art. Uh, so for me, I'm persuaded by the idea that popular culture is a space which is accessible to everybody, a simpler vehicle of communication, a site of contending views, and thus, thus irrespective of its location, functional producers, it has been available to human history for use in part of different agendas. Uh, if you live in Uganda, all those who have been following Ugandan, Ugandan uh, politics, we used to think that music was for people in the slums. The musician was, 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 uh, was not regarded in high esteem. But then they was realized that music can actually mobilize. So the elite, the so-called elite, 
the politicians who are running the country also started mobilizing musicians to sing and mobilize for them constituencies. So you realize that there's a, a process of negotiating through popular culture. So this, uh, before I, I start to talk about Somalia, maybe I should finish on this, that uh, what constitutes popular culture? Not everything that widely circulates is popular culture, all right? But before that, even the power to circulate has to go through a special craft. So there must be a special craft. There's some sort of panache. There's aesthetics that go into the process of making it popular. That has to be, uh, the Ugandan uh, theorist Austin Ibukenya said, is, is the artist has to be vividly, uh, has to be an accurate observer of society, vividly imaginative, and ingenuous in his expressions. That's how she, uh, uh, Austin Ibukenya thought about the, the craft of art. There should be vivid imagination, accurate observation, and ingenuous expression. This is how he thought about it. So every piece to circulate, to be able to mobilize an audience, it must have a special craft. So this is a song, a poem, a monument. There's a special craft, there's special aesthetics that go into it. So this, this is how the project was, was uh, conceived, understanding national sentiments and identity through the vehicle of popular culture. So the context for the project is uh, 1961, 1991 rather, when Somaliland declares independence from Somalia and they are breaking away. So this is the context. And I'm asking questions, which I'll, I'll show later, relating to what it means to break away. So a quick history of this country, Somaliland. Somaliland was British colonized, got in place on 25th June, 1960. Somalia, uh, you can see the map. This is, this is Somalia, although it appears as Italian Somalia. Somalia was colonized by the Italians. Got its independence uh, five days later, that's uh, July 1st, 1960. But the independence, they had, they united. There, there was the argument for union. So on 1st of July, the day that Somalia got its independence, these two countries came together and formed the United Republic of Somalia. So the language. The language, the articulation of unification was constructed in three distinct terms, language, religion, and culture. Although, if you followed this history well, that the British, for their exploits in, in Sudan, after entering into an arrangement with the emperor uh, of, of Ethiopia, gave the hold, which was a grazing land for the Somalis, to the emperor. But they did it so quietly that the, most of the Somalis didn't know. So when they learned slightly later, there was some sort of urgency uh, 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 for union so that they could mount a, a spirited campaign to get their hood back, which is a grazing land, very fertile land uh, in Ethiopia now. But that was unsuccessful. But that doesn't feature very prominently in the language of union. It, what features prominently is, is language, culture, and, and, and religion. So uh, the Somali National uh, League one of the so many groups that mobilized for independence in Somaliland, one of the, the, the president of the league is, is quoted here saying, the Somali form a single race, practice the same religion, speak a single language. So he says this as an argument for unification. They inhabit, and, and this was in a meeting in, in London in 1956. They inhabit a vast territory which in turn constitutes a world-fine geographical unit. So they also make reference to their economic activity. And all must know that the government of Somalia will strive with, 
its utmost with the legal and peaceful means which are its democratic prerogative to attain its end. The Union of Somalis until all Somalia form a single great Somalia. So the language, what I want to underscore here is the language in which uh, unification was mobilized. Uh, I also want to show here, Issa continued in another meeting, also making the same, the same argument. They occupy the same terrain and pursue the same pastoral economy as, our, economy as ourselves. We speak the same language, we share the same creed, the same culture, and the same tradition. So in, in the process of unification, a cultural identity was mobilized. It was purely culture identity, with the slight references to the economy, but mostly it was culture. Uh, Abdi Ismail Samata put out a book uh, last, uh, 2016, Africa's First Democrats. And he also cites uh, the, one of the elders in the colonies in a letter written in, in 1946, saying almost the same. If you're very familiar with these debates in, in, in the Somali, Somali territories, Somalia and Somalia, there's contests that we never agree. We never agree to the union. The people in, in, a, in a, uh, Hagesa would want to claim that, as sometimes the fellows in Mogadishu want to say, you actually agree. So Abdi Samata, for those who know him, is kind of controversial, had to go in the archive and brought up this also. Uh, the language religion is prominent. So the point is that cultural identity is being, was mobilized in 1960. So the context, I've spoken about that. So against such a background, my project had these questions going to the field. Through the vehicle of popular culture, which I've spoken about, which is a tool of mobilization after the Civil War and the Declaration of Independence, what histories are mobilized in the campaign for session Somalia? Because, you know, after Foucault, history is mobilized, right? There's no history which is, like, back there. It's mobilized to speak to the present. So, you know, what history is mobilized in this campaign for secession in international recognition? What presents and futures are emerging in the process? What are the current nationalist sentiments in the formation of New Somaliland, Somaliland's national identity? What do they teach us about Somaliland? There's so much writing about Somaliland, which, which, which is in praise of the peace and stability that has, has been put in place for the last 27 years. How should we think about this peace and stability against the nationalist sentiments and identities being mobilized in popular culture? Uh, so how do the recurrent motives in this campaign help us think about secessionist nationalism, especially after the dreams, of, the dreams that animated the anti-colonial struggle have turned into terrible nightmares? It, you realize that 1991 being the moment that Somaliland declared secession after, uh, after the defeat of Siad Bari. We were coming off a, dicta a period of dictatorship, and writers in this period have spoken about the dreams, the, 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 uh, the longing for building these countries after colonialism. In most of these countries across Africa, was really, I uh, didn't go down well. Civil wars, corruption, uh, fighting, uh, defined this period. So how should we think about this as a different form of nationalism? And I'm really fascinated by trying to think about secessionist nationalism as a form of nationalism, which is different from anti-colonial nationalism. I think we, 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 there is a way we can think about them as, as independently constituted. Secessionism against anti-colonial. So those are the questions that I went with into the project. All right, so now I'm going to start talking about uh, what you may call data. Uh, maybe I should speak about my time in Somaliland. Um, I started visiting Somaliland in, 19, in 2000, 
and 13. Uh, the longest I stayed in Somaliland was in 2015. I stayed for eight months. But Somaliland became home. I often go back almost every year. So I, I went back in 2014. I, I, go, I went back 2016. And, and I, I have some sort of uh, office at Makere. My office is like the Somaliland office for students coming to Makere. So there's our guy at Makere. So I, I, keep, I keep track of what's going on in Somalia because people often come to my office when they want to like integrate into the community. Our rivals, I've been involved in the organization of the, the May 18 festivals in Kampala. That doesn't mean that I'm, I, I would say I'm in for recognition now, because that like, thank you for that scholarship. I mean, you have a position. Hey, well, anyway, everybody has a position. But so uh, most of the data is collected in 2015, where I spent the longest amount of time. So uh, let me return popular culture a bit. So popular culture being a vehicle through which different negotiations can be engaged. I, I, I categorized my popular culture into two very functional forms, officially sponsored. I'm very convinced. Of, uh, uh, I, I want to emphasize the word sponsorship because it's very key. If you say official popular culture, people tend to think like, hey, hey, we know popular culture is contesting officialdom. How could it be official popular culture? This, this has been said, especially radical uh, political scientists. They think about popular culture through the lens of popular rebellion, all right? So, so how can official popular culture be in the same, same sentence? So emphasis on the word sponsored. And sponsored to mean it's, it's, it has the backing of the state, all right? That's purely what I mean. It has the backing of the state. It stands on the auspices of the state. For example, the national flag. The national flag of, Somalia, of, of any country has the backing of the state. So it's official, officially sponsored popular culture. All right? Although it could pass as official popular culture, but to avoid this kind of back and forth, I, I officially sponsor popular culture. So we're going to look at the, the flag very, very uh, closely. And I pick interest in it because there's a performativity around it. The flag in Somalia, and if you've lived in Somalia, there's so much grand around it. When they, they, May 18 is coming close, an entire industry opens up in Hagesa for the making of these fabrics in these different patterns. The performativity is so wonderful that even animals are painted in these colors. It's, it's, it's really amazing. But then, uh, if let's look closely. I'm going to point to one little thing in the in the flag. I'm going to point to the star, all right? Because there's an interesting juxtaposition with the flag of Somalia or Somalia. So Somalia put it, put up a flag which has five points, but it's black. The flag of Somalia is white, is, is, uh, is blue, and the star is white. So there's plenty of stuff to talk about these two flags, but just the star. If you speak to Somalis, they, Somalilanders, they tell you the black star represents the death of the white star. It represents the death of Somalia, the death of the dream of a greater Somalia. All right? So I find that fascinating. I mean, if you've got independent already, what would that mean? Uh, if you've kept institutionally, you have this sort of juxtaposition. I find that fascinating. Uh, but moving on, I'll come to uh, the analysis slightly later. So we have the Statue of Liberty. Whoever has been to Somaliland has seen this. 
uh, even if you don't be to Somaliland, when, when you get any, anything talking about Somaliland, often it's represented through the Statue of Liberty. It's called the Statue of Liberty and the country yet to be discovered. So I, I, I sort of describe uh, the Statue of Liberty and also go through its history. Sometime around 1999, uh, there was a very uh, progressive mayor of Hagesa who went and picked the thing from, there were about three that had been abandoned at the Hagesa, Hagesa airport. So he picked one of, it, of them and brought it and put it up in the center of Hagesa. So they think in the evening, people bring chairs around it and have shy, shy and shy and talk, shy yosheko, which is tea and talk. So they have tea and talk around this place in the evening. This was taken during the day. They have coffee around this place, and they, they keep talking. Uh, so this is what, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's so dense to describe what it stands for, but I'm going to point to just a few things. Uh, I want to point to its performativity, that if you look at a picture like this one, which is a Twitter picture, it is in the background. And, uh, and the, the, the tweet is, the Republic of Somalia is guarded by high degree of stability and security compared to Somalia. So we see some sort of juxtaposition in Somalia. And if you know that the statue itself uh, came into being after 1988 when there was bombing of Hagesa and was left on the ground. So this remaining in the national psyche and in the institutional symbolism of Somalia and also is telling about the history that it mobilizes. So every day as you wake up, this history, is, you're reminded as you go through the center of town, you're reminded of this history, that we are what we are because of this history. All right? Uh, so, so, I mean, if you pick, say, a book. So this is a book on the statistical, the statistical abstract of Hagaisa municipality. It's a fifth edition. And this is how they choose to represent the city of Hagaisa. All right? It's represented with the, 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 the Statue of Liberty. And then you find it reproduced in many spaces. If you're driving through Hagaisa, you'll find it also reproduced in, in a... And this is Gumeisi Dabadi is uh, after, after, after colonialism uh, is, in, is freedom. Horinimo is, is, is freedom. Then this is very fascinating in the ways in which people think about the monument. Dukainti uh, is uh, an interesting transition is that when bombs rain on us, all right, that's a very fascinating translation, one of those that, uh, it's either bombing or when bombs rain on us, all right? So this is how people relate to, to the monument. And so I'm interested in, in this monument, what, what type of issue does it mobilize, and what type of identity does it mobilize for the Somalis? in Somalia. So there's another item which I think is an item of popular culture as well. And, and I, 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 I need to remind you that popular culture in this INS core things that easily move, they're easily accessed, they're widely read. Because they're widely read in the community, they hope to mobilize a constituency. So this is a flyer I landed on while I was reading a book, a book on development, uh, inv investment opportunities in Somalia. So they, they inserted flyers in this box arguably meant for foreigners who are interested in investing in Somalia. But if you could see uh, some of the fascinating things that I saw in this flyer, these are flyers of independence. Uh, oh, my eyes probably, maybe I need to look here. So one of the things that, that is being said is the, 
we are committed to human rights, freedom of expression, maintaining peaceful relations with other nations. All right? So as you mobilize for independence, for international recognition, one of the things that you say as part of what you are, on the fly it is said, uh, we are committed to human rights. Uh, also it is said, uh, has an independent judiciary to apply uh, national laws. Uh, okay, but you know, the other thing that I also found in this flyer is that they start with the question, have you ever heard about Somaliland? Well, you've heard Somalia. You've not heard about Somalia. So then they take you into what Somaliland stands for, which I found really fascinating. Uh, then one of the things that flyer, on the other side of that flyer, is that we are a free country, all right? And I'll later talk about national heroes, which I also want, to, I, I, I think about as texts, human beings as texts of analysis. So those who know Edna Adnan in uh, Somalia is one of, one of the most celebrated heroes of the, started the first, the first hospital for uh, women in Hargeisa. She is highly, highly respected in the community. And she speaks about national, national, uh, national, she campaigns for recognition of Somaliland. But she said in this tweet, who in the right minds want to unite with Al-Shabaab Somalia? All right? Nobody, not us. And I found that really fascinating too, and as I'll show later in the analysis, that the ways in which you construct at the other is very interesting for national identities and secessionism. So I, I'm going to show random pictures and then quickly run. So if you're in Hargeisa, this is another monument that you'll find. This is the car. It's a, it's a jet, some sort of military tank. This is not real. They, they are uh, the first monument of the Statue of Liberty. That's a real Russian-made uh, jet. This is not real. But it also contributes. So there are other pictures of set at places where uh, 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 events of 1988 happened, the bombing, how, many, how, it, how it all started. There's so many, about five monuments across the country. There's the, the map of Somalia being held by a, 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 a farmhand. There's the dove and several others. But I, want, I wanted to show that as well. So this, it, it, this and several others, I talk about national celebrations such as May 18 celebration as an event, I describe it. Uh, these are the ones that I, I position as officially sponsored popular culture. Uh, there is Everyday Somaliland. This is unofficially sponsored popular culture, but I call it Everyday Somaliland, which is some sort of, a, uh, they mobilize a public, but this are counter-public. Uh, so poets and singers. This, this, the poet, this, the, the song I played earlier is uh, Sarah Halgan. So uh, uh, you know, if you've read Shakespeare, Shakespeare, this, the Shakespeare's uh, uh, tragic heroes and heroines were were either generals or princes. They were they were people of high esteem in the society. But what I want to take from that is that at some point in the life of an of an of a, of a hero, they cease being individuals and they become representatives of communities. All right, and I find that fascinating. So in a character in, a, I think, King Lear would say, uh, Julius Caesar fell, and so you 
and my countrymen fell, and, and, and all of us fell, all right? The idea is that at some point, a character ceases being a representative of only himself, and he stands for a community. If they <coughs> die, an, an entire community identifies with them. Let me give an example of uh, the poet Hadrawi, one of Somalia's most celebrated poets, living poet. There was Timahadi, but let's talk about Hadrawi. So Hadrawi was asked about what he felt about secessionism in 2015. And he said, if Somalia were to split into 20 Somalis, I will remain one Hadrawi. Right? That was his response. If, if Somalia would split into 20 Somalis, I remain one Hadrawi. Right? And, and when he had a peace march sometime in 2004, going across the Somali territories, he was received across the territories very, very happily from, from, the, the northern, from, from southern Somalia all, all the way down in Kismayo to Mogadishu to Ogaden to Djibouti to Hargeisa. He lives in Boro. But he, he doesn't necessarily, if, if you attend the Somali Week Festival, which happens in London every year, when Hadrawi shows up, all the Somalis, irrespective of where they come from, be they from Somaliland, be they from, from uh, uh, Mogadishu, they relate with Somali, with Hadrawi and whatever he stands for. So th there were people like Hadrawi that I treat as texts that they need to be studied. Their utterance of silences speak volumes. <coughs> then there are Sarah Halgan. <coughs> who are actually actively involved in the process of campaign. The song that I was showing earlier this is titled Beware, Hattagan. Beware, he's telling the Somali, beware of Somalia. That's, that's a 2015 song, all right? Beware of Somalia. Then there's uh, Boba Yusuf Duali. Boba Yusuf Duali is, a, is, a, is some sort of a, a public intellectual. He was minister at one time, minister of public of communication in one of the governments, but he, <coughs> I don't treat him as a text to be studied because he's not really that as, as, a, as a celebrity. But he's composed music. I can smoke edition. So there's a band uh, called Hiligaha Geska, the Horn Stars. The Horn Stars are very fascinating. It's a group of, of uh, about five singers. It's very fascinating in the sense that they try to perform across some of the Somali territories. But in 2015, they had a show in Mogadishu on Eid, when they returned to Hagesa, they were arrested for staging a show in a hostile country. All right? So they become very uh, uh, elevated to, uh, uh, for, for investigation. Then Abdmal Oldon. Oldon is fascinating. Uh, and please don't read this as Oldon. It's Oldon. I should have written O, but in Somali, C is O. And uh, Hussein is written with X. So Abdmalik is a guy who has said he's going to go around all of the Somali territories singing that Somaliland is, all of Somalia is his. So any Somalis here would know uh, the song, Somaliba ahai, Somaliba ahai, Garisa anale. Uh, so he is refrained that he mentions the town and then says, I belong to Mogadishu, I belong to... Uh, Harkesa, I belong to Boro, I belong to Ogadenia, I belong to Djibouti, that all of Somalia is me. And last year, he, I think, was arrested twice, all right, by the Somali government. So Amran, Amran Hussein, uh, Edna Adnan, I, 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 I get their music, uh, transcribe it, and study it for analysis in what is said in this music. But also, 
uh, their personalities are also fascinating for studying because they've been engaged in so many things. Uh, so there are places which are also treated as mediation. There are places <coughs> such as a couple of art Italian coffee house. Couple of art closed. It was started in 2015 and closed, I think, a year later. Closed in 20, end of 2016. But couple, couple of art was very fascinating. I've actually written a paper on it, just on couple of art. It was fascinating in the sense that it was just a coffee house. But this coffee house had so many run-ins with government. It would be closed and opened because it would play music, it would play music and it would open till late. All right? It would allow seemingly unacceptable uh, singers to perform in its space. So I, I found that fascinating just to be integrated into uh, this study. Then Harun Tadakanka, a Hageisa, the Hageisa Culture Center, uh, which organized the Hageisa International Book Fair, is itself a mediation in the sense that, uh, 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 Jama Musa Jama may not, should not hear this, because the Hagesa Culture Center and the International Book Fair is meant to project an elite idea of Somaliland, connecting with the literary world elsewhere in the campaign for secession. That's one of the readings. And if you go down to describe how it came into place, you get that reading very obviously. So I, I think about these as mediations. Uh, and then the, the diaspora returnees also as, as mediations, because they come back. And, and if, uh, Somaliland is very interesting when you look at the East Diaspora Returnees. Because as opposed to the other uh, countries in Southern Africa and East Africa, the diaspora community in Somaliland is huge. So when they return, they are visible, because there are many. But also, interestingly, is that they've spent a very long period away. So they've been radically uh, uh, conditioned by the places, the host countries that hosted. So when they come back, uh, uh, and if you look at the, the popular scene in Hagesa, there they are jokes about them. The need of Dakane, I'm sure if this guy went back, would be need of Dakanelis, <laughs> reorientation to the culture. And, the, and we live with these jokes every day because they are, they are looked at as alien in a way. Some of them, they're Somalis, poor, they don't want to pray, yet, yet you know, uh, Somalians as Muslims. Uh, and then the Hagesa book first. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, end here and run to some conclusions of mine because this is, as you can imagine, talking about an entire dissertation uh, in detail is, is really difficult. Uh, so these are some of the conclusions that I make. Oh, first I should say. Uh, let me first go back a bit, and I think I have how many minutes, sir? Huh? Uh, you could do up to another seven or eight. Seven. Okay. So uh, the officially sponsored popular culture is in support of secession. Now there's an officially sponsored everyday Somaliland Somal, where the, the voices are both. You find those who are actually in support. For example, Sarah Halgan, Bobby Yusuf Duali, uh, Amran, Edna Adnan. These are, they sponsor themselves, <coughs> but they are in support. So they speak the official public the official imagined public identity. But then you find the character of Abdul Malik Holdon and uh, Poet Hadrawi, who hasn't said much. His is silence, all right? If you, I tried to a history of, of, uh, of Hadrawi in the 1960s, he was very vocal against the regime of Syed Bari. He was extremely, extremely vocal as a playwright and as a thinker and as critic. In this campaign, he lives in Buro, he's been quiet. And when he was asked, he gave a slightly vague, coded response, all right? 
So if you look at him, you may say he is anti because his silence speaks volumes. He would have come out to speak in support. Uh, and then Hidega Hageska, it's difficult to place them. But the point I want to make is that the official is more powerful than the unofficial. Because, <coughs> which is very obvious, they, they control the tools of coercion. So they are uh, more aggressive in pursuit of, in the mobilization of a, of a public identity. So then I make some conclusions. So the conclusions I make actually build on the official and very little on the unofficial. So first, uh, the first conclusion here is uh, on Somaliland and the scholarship from Somaliland. Somaliland scholarship celebrates the peace and stability in Somaliland, which has gone on for the last 25 years. 25 years was 2015. But sustaining the images and histories of violence and victimhood in its public psyche and institutional symbolism suggests it has remained a country at war. That's one of the conclusions I make. That, and, and, you know, spe speculatively you can say that, I mean, after they've been granted independence, what the internal wrangles broke up because it looks like the, the images uh, and, and feelings of, of, of confrontation with, with uh, southern Somalia are still very, very uh, vibrant. Uh, I, I summarize this because of the interest of time, but the other conclusion that I make, which, which is in a way of thinking about anti-colonial nationalism, is that if anti-colonial nationalism sought to harmonize both the internal and the external references, as it sought to be traditional and modern at the same time, secessionist nationalism is essentially external. It is outside looking, making it internationalist and universalist. It strategically silences the traditional articulations of identity. From the stuff that I've said about the official popular culture, I've said nothing about indigeneity, nothing about language, nothing about culture, not even claims to the land, all right? But these are the stuff that you find, this, these are the patterns, these are the motifs that you find repeated in the popular culture of Somaliland, the official Somali popular culture. They don't make references that we were here, say, in the 16th century AD, and this is our land. They don't say, uh, we, sp we speak a language that's different from those guys, so we are uh, differently Somalilander. They, they don't make any of those claims. Instead, they say they are democratic, they are Muslim, uh, they represent the death. They, 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 they represent them mimetically against Somalia. So they, you, you find that they could help us actually think about other secessionist imaginaries elsewhere. And I, and I, and I found that Muslim Zion, uh, uh, Devji's book, very fascinating, because when he's talking about Pakistan, Pakistan is imagined as a Muslim country. To belong to be Pakistan is to be Muslim, which is a very universal idea. In fact, Devji argues that uh, in Pakistan, to even to claim that we are the first inhabitants of this space called Pakistan is illegal. It is, it is powerfully fought if you claim that we belonged here so many years ago, we have these stories that bind us to this land, that is fault. So you know Divji makes this claim about Pakistan as, as, a, when we, as, a, as a breakaway country from, from India, which is built on an universal, a universal ideal as, as, as being Muslim. And he makes the same argument about Israel, built on the ideal of being Zionist, all right? There are no claims to the land, it's just Zionism as our claim
to this space. All right. So, uh, and and stretching this, I, I thought we could we could start to think about and theorize secessionist nationalism. In, in, in for example, uh, uh, the universalism being cutting across, claiming to be democratic, even to claim to be victims, it's a very it's a very universal ideal. Say, if you claim to be a victim of a genocide, it, as as is claimed in a in Somaliland, is, is a universal ideal. And, and you find these claims reproduced elsewhere. We have been marginalized economically. If you look at uh, the book that uh, Professor Lama contributed to on secessionism, there are claims of most of the demand for independence from a mother country signals towards economic deprivation. So it, there's some sort of universalism in these claims. Yet one of the things that animated the conversion of nationalism was how do we harmonize the traditional and the modern? If you read Pato Chatterjee and nationalism of derivative discourse, that the, the struggle to have a uniquely traditional national identity was difficult. Because you got caught up in the critique of, the moder of modernity. So at, at that process, you, the struggle remained the ways in which people chose to identify traditional and at the same time modern. Even when you return to Somali history, uh, uh, the music of, of the 1960s and 70s also looked at, for example, the woman was, was, was seen as, as the symbolism of the Somali identity. But that woman had to be traditional but modern at the same time. So, you know, so those were the debates in the 1960 anti-colonial longing. But now, when we think about transnationalism, we, we seem to have very, very externalized, outward-looking and universal ideations. I think I've carried on for long. Okay. Should stop it here. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.